The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who, and today we're discussing the seventh Doctor story, Survival. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stiga. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. <laughs> Folks, be sure to get your very own Secrets of Doctor Who t-shirt or phone case or more by visiting sqpn.com slash merch. Today I'm wearing my Secrets of Stargate shirt. You can see Father Corey on Good that. Taste. If you're watching, Good taste. <laughs> if you're watching the video. And uh, I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy called The Catholics of Oz. They just celebrated their 100th episode, so you should definitely check that out. That was a special episode. And you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Oz. And, of course, please stick around to the very end of the show because we have more of your great listener feedback to share with you. So uh, we are discussing the Seventh Doctor's last uh, TV story. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, with a little caveat that we could talk about that it's not the last time we'll ever see him again uh, but it's the last regular story and uh, jimmy can you give us a recap of what happens this week the seventh doctor and ace return to ace's hometown of perryvale they find that lots of ace's friends have mysteriously vanished they've been whisked off to another world by kitlings small creepy animatronic cat dolls with the power of inter- interdimensional travel The Kitlings take people to the home planet of the Cheetah People, who, despite being cat people, howl like dogs, ride horses, and sometimes also teleport to our world. But if you go to their world, you start turning into a Cheetah person. And that's not only happening to Ace and her friends, it's also happened to the Master, who is struggling to control his new animal instincts. He eventually decides that he has control of them and elects to hunt the Doctor and destroy him. But the conflict between the Cheetah people is literally tearing their planet apart. Eventually, the Master teleports the Doctor to the Cheetah planet for a a last battle, but the Doctor draws on the planet's power and starts to turn Cheetah himself. The Doctor nearly kills the Master, but holds back his violence. He teleports back to Earth, and the planet proceeds to tear itself apart. The Doctor reunites with Ace, who has been purged of her Cheetah influence, and the two of them stroll off to new, unseen adventures. The end. All right. So, uh, overall, first impressions, Father Corey, since uh, you've been away, I'd like to give you the first opportunity to give your first impression. Uh, What did you think of this one? Well, this is a great way to come back to the final episode of Classic Who. Um, now, uh, this is one I, I've seen many times, you know, and, and I've I've always kind of enjoyed it. I mean, it, it's it, it's interesting. We see Ace's hometown or you know home area where she's from, and we get to kind of get more of her background, more of kind of who a little bit, anyways. And you get the whole the master actually acting much more manipulative and dark not quite as bombastic as the Ainley master is known for being uh and so that's kind of interesting and then the idea of how the the power the the power of this planet kind of infects both the master and eventually the doctor and ace and kind of seeing how that how that plays out i've i've always kind of enjoyed this one Uh, i've always found it to be a good story kind of kind of tragic course because it was the last episode of classic who that wasn't intended to be the last episode of classic who but Mm -hmm. i've always enjoyed it Jimmy, 
Um, it's an enjoyable watch. It's only three episodes long, which is nice. Um, I liked that. I hadn't remembered that. And so I was expecting, I mean, I'm watching episode three and I'm going, okay, there's another episode to go. And then all of a sudden, wait, we're ending. Uh, Mm -hmm. this is the famous ending and it'd been a long time since I watched it. So it, uh, it, I I wasn't expecting that. It was a nice surprise, but Mm. in terms of the story itself, it's moody. It is brooding, it is atmospheric, it is ominous, um, and it just has a different feel. It's certainly nothing like the camp that mm. you get in Modern Who. This is this is much more serious in its tone. And I I liked that. I thought I thought that was effectively done. Um there is a there were you know there's individual things to talk about in it, but I thought it was I mean you know it's not perfect and there are things I would change, but but I thought it was I thought it was remarkably effective, especially for television of the time. Yeah, um, I'm tempted to start by saying I laughed, I cried. It was better than cats, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's not saying much. But Anything is better than cats. I don't know what people were thinking. <laughs> Poor T. S. Eliot. Uh, but yeah. regardless, <laughs> the. Uh, the the it was interesting to see for me to see how the classic who ended its regular run obviously we'll see sylvester mccoy again which we've already talked about in the 96 television movie in the american mm-hmm. attempt to reboot and yeah he's like the doctor for the first third of that <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. and then he shows up again in the end of the 13th doctors like the the mind um, mm-hmm. palace thingy that she was going through uh, it, but but really this is the end of Classic Who for all intents and purposes and so it was interesting to see how this unexpected ending of this show that had been on for at that point more than 25 years right I mean that's uh, I forget mm-hmm. which season exactly oh, yeah. it was um, and to, to just sort of abruptly bring it to a close and um, the, the, as a story I, I agree to me it, it is very moody and atmospheric in fact that the first whole episode is kind of like i don't know it's like the town is so empty like where is everybody it's very Mm -hmm. ominous in a sense as they're walking through this suburb essentially where and 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 there's nobody around there's very few people and also the fact that they filmed it entirely on um for outdoor, it was never. It was no mm-hmm. interior sets like a on a soundstage. I mean, there were interiors, but no mm-hmm. soundstage. And they didn't do the switching between film and videotape like they had, they sometimes did in the era. It was all. I think it was all film. All, I think mm-hmm. was it all film? Yeah, yeah. it's all it was, one or yeah. the other. Yeah. So I don't know the technicalities of that, but so I I felt like they, that gave it a, an interesting feel to it and one of the things that kind of felt about this too with ace and we'll i'm sure we'll talk about it more is i really felt like ace was coming into her own here i mean she was Mm -hmm. she was not the child essentially who started with the seventh doctor um she was feeling a little more grown up a little more not you know as if anybody can be an equal of the doctor but as any companion can be somewhat equal to the to the doctor in in many ways so i th- thought it was kind of interesting she was getting a little more agency and you know leading her friends and that sort of thing so i thought that was uh interesting as well um so uh so that's a, um, impressions mm-hmm. uh, one of the things i found interesting is, is they arrived on a sunday which mm-hmm. <sighs> At some point in New Who, and I couldn't remember which one who said this is, 
uh, says, I never land on a Sunday. I skip Sundays because I those are the most boring get, day of the week. Yeah, could never get the hang of Sundays. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I gather maybe that was a reference back to this one because, you know, they land on a Sunday because it's the doctor acts very, very bored throughout, throughout the yeah. first episode. Like he just says, oh, he literally a, yawns. He literally yeah. yawns. He's so bored. Yeah. It's kind of odd. His reaction to taking Ace home to, to her well, hometown. And, and I, part of this is to show that Perryville, which is a, a suburb of London. It, it's like near Wembley stadium. Um, I've never been to London. That's just Google maps telling me this, but um, <laughs> it, it's just a boring suburb town there's nothing really going on it's not a place where you go for entertainment it's not a place you go for excitement you live there you go to work and you go back and that's what it's supposed to show we call it a bedroom community here in the the states yeah at at least that's ace's perspective on it um which is you know typical young people very frequently feel there's nothing going on here and 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 so forth. I want to get out of this, you know, nothing town and so forth. And they, they kind of play on that. Um, one of the things that I think contributes to the overall mood of this series is the cheetah planet, which mm-hmm. is filmed entirely like in a rock quarry, um, yeah. or sand pit, you know, it, and I thought it was fitting, even though this wasn't intended to be the last episode of the series, that Doctor Who returns to its origins by finishing <laughs> yeah. in a rock quarry, <laughs> yeah. but but they've they've tricked it out with um, the paintbox software of the time, and they're making yes. much better use of it than they did in the Sixth Doctor's time. If you remember Mind Warp, yeah. where the Doctor and Perry go to this planet, the Sixth Doctor and Perry go to this planet. And they've just like gone paint box crazy, and yep. it it's like okay, this is clearly video editing, and they're not trying to hide it. It's just mm-hmm. blam, change. You know that Ali Brosh clean all the things meme. It's like <laughs> do yeah. all the colors, and <laughs> right, right. and in this, it's more restrained. Um, they, they may have done a little overall color, you know, changing color correction for the main body of what you see on screen, but where they're really doing it is in the sky. Mm-hmm. They, they give the cheetah planet this kind of reddish sky. It's not bright red, but it's got mm-hmm. red elements in the sky. Mm-hmm. They also have, uh, added extra moons in the yep. sky and they have these gas geysers that are going off mm-hmm. in the back they never make anything of them but you can see these you know volcanic like peaks that are spewing gas up into the air and there are there are a number of those and it helps create an effective alien environment yep. and then at the end when the doctor is confronting the master and the planet is starting to t- starting to tear itself apart um, they have like, you know, cracks in the ground open up and there's water in them and the water looks like it's burning because of the paint box pro. And, and I thought it was very visually effective. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The, the gas geysers really show that the planet is, is falling apart, that it, it's, it's kind of its last gasp before it, it really breaks apart. Mm. Um, you know, that, that this isn't a healthy planet anymore. Right. You know, so and it, at the it end, it really the- does show yeah. that without again showing without telling you know they yeah. do say that it's breaking apart but that really shows it kind of throughout right 
You know, the uh, the rock quarry is to Doctor Who as Vasquez rocks outside yeah. of Los yeah. Angeles is the Star Trek. You know, it's just one of those things. Or, or the or for every Hollywood TV show, the those hills, those barren hills outside of L.A. that you mm-hmm. always see. And that's the sort of thing and they have to substitute for every location around the world. <laughs> oh, our, our heroes are in Afghanistan. Oh, look, there's those same hills we saw in Los Angeles. So, uh, yeah, the rock quarries is a, is a very key aspect of, of Doctor Who's location shooting. Uh, one of the interesting behind-the-scenes tidbits on this story is it had a number of different working titles. They ended up calling it Survival, which... Is I guess an ironic name given the series didn't survive this story, <laughs> yeah. um, but they and and I'm I mean, they do talk about survival of the fittest in this, but right. I'm not sure that it's the best name. I actually like one of the other names they considered for this, which was cat flap, because <laughs> right. a, a cat flap is is what you it's the equivalent of a doggy door. It's what your cat uses to get in and out of your house, you know, by going through a little flap on a door and a wall. And since the cat people in this cross back and forth between their world and ours, it's like they've got a teleportational cat flap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, the doctor says that, like uses that phrase mm-hmm. at some point. There, there is a lot of talk of survival of the fittest in, in like mm-hmm. unconnected context in the second episode, I noticed. Um, yeah, survival of the fittest, law of the jungle, that kind of conversation, especially that uh, mm-hmm. the Sergeant Patterson, mm-hmm. uh, he really talks a lot about that. Until he gets confronted with actual survival issues, then he freaks <laughs> yeah. out. But yeah, he's Sergeant Patterson is so he's a self defense instructor that is very proud of all the survival training he's had and that he's trying to give to young people. And he's a bit of a tin pot dictator. He's kind of you know he's kind of haughty and superior, and he's a stereotype. But what I find interesting is the way the doctor treats him because the doctor, you know, if if this was the 13th doctor, she would be preaching at him and humiliating him. And, and the seventh doctor doesn't do that. He largely ignores him, tolerates him, does not humiliate him. And when, when they get into trouble on the cheetah planet, like at one point the cheetahs are about to tear apart and eat, um, Sergeant Patterson, the doctor had without blinking an eye, you know, just saves him. You know, mm-hmm. he he, get, he tries a couple of different tricks; they don't work. He gets a horse, he yanks Patterson up onto the horse, and they ride off. He he just he he doesn't he he the most the doctor does is like say the equivalent of oh shut up, <laughs> yeah. but but that's it. And yeah. um, he also has a very um interesting thing that he does at one point uh as part of the survival message that patterson is giving to young people at the youth center he's he's telling them a finger can be a deadly weapon you know just just one finger and that's a setup you don't know it at the time but that's a setup because later as the doctor is trying to catch a kitling um, you know, one of these black cats that's roaming the neighborhood mm-hmm. and teleporting people away. As he's trying to catch him, Patterson is interfering with him and is like going to take him into custody because there have been neighborhood watch complaints about the doctor lurking around people's houses and stuff. The doctor just takes his finger, presses it into 
uh, Patterson's forehead and telepathically knocks him unconscious. <laughs> he does a telepathic <laughs> assault on him, and then he looks at his finger and says, a finger can be a deadly weapon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Patterson, I guess he's like Territorial Army, which is a, a rough equivalent of like our National Guard. So he's sort mm-hmm. of a reserve or, you know, but he takes it very seriously and is always in his camouflage uniform. And yeah, it's, it's, so you like you mentioned the yeah. stereotype. I just love that telepathic assault, though. We, all, we, yeah. we almost never get to see the doctor do stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, did it seem odd to anyone else that Ace's complete lack of interest in seeing family when she arrives? Like, well, the only family we know that she's got is her mom, and she hates her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I thought some of that got fixed in The Curse of Fenric. You know? A little bit, a little bit, but I, I could imagine that that doesn't mean she still wants to see her family. Okay, all right, yeah. I mean, I suppose this still going to be feelings don't go away immediately. Um, uh, so, okay, that that makes I guess that makes some sense. And like a teenager, she wants to see her friends. And yep. one of the things they do though in this is um, they kind of hold Ace a little responsible on family mm-hmm. issues because. They, her friends, you know, point and, and Sergeant Patterson point out your mom thought you was, thought you're dead. She's issued a missing persons report on you and Mm -hmm. all you had to do. In fact, Patterson really totally calls her out on it, says all you have to do is give her a phone call at some Mm -hmm. point. You haven't, (laughs) you haven't, you've let her think you're dead all this time. It would have cost you 10 P to call your mom and say, I'm alive. Right. Yeah, back in the day, kids, you could put a a coin, a dime, <laughs> and in, something called a, the payphone, <laughs> on, which was a box on a wall, <laughs> <laughs> just randomly out in public, and then you could make phone calls. <laughs> and it's even cheaper now because we all have devices in our pockets that do the same thing. I know, and the doctor and the call can, is free, and the doctor <laughs> can program them to call you from any place in time and space. That wasn't part of the show yet, though. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so and. We mentioned you mentioned how oh, the, the mast- by, oh yeah forgive me by the way yeah. I was a little surprised um, now this word doesn't mean anything in American English so I'll say it but it means something in British English uh, what specifically what Sergeant Patterson says to Ace is your mom had you listed as a missing person you don't even give a toss do you. And mm-hmm. I was surprised <laughs> to hear the word toss on a family show in yeah. Britain yep. because it means an act of self-gratification, and to put right. it delicately. And yeah. it's like, wow, I wasn't expecting to hear that. How did that get past mm-hmm. the censors? Was that just an, something that the actor playing Pat- Patterson accidentally ad-libbed or something, and it got passed through or what because i if i i I, i'm not accustomed to hearing such language on doctor who it would be the equivalent of hearing you don't give an f-bomb i mean yeah really the equivalent it would be i suppose i I don't i don't know about the force i mean it it yeah they're both references the same thing yeah they're reference idea they're references to sexual acts but i gather that it that Toss does not have the force that the F word historically has had. Um, But it's still, I mean, 
wow i wasn't expecting that i guess i'm imagining this was the like by the time this aired they knew or you know they were in editing they knew the show was done so someone probably just didn't care <laughs> let it go you could say they didn't give one of those either whether or not the censors liked it <laughs> that's right <laughs> so i was going to mention the appearance of anthony ainley as the master the the last mm-hmm. gasp of anthony ainley's master you know the, the last time he appears although he has not shown up in three seasons since the trial of a time lord in the sixth doctor he the, there's been no master in the seventh doctor's time at all mm-hmm. till this very final chance i thought that yes. was interesting in fact ace has to ask who's the master and yep. the doctor says he's an evil genius one of my old enemies and they move on mm-hmm. this because ace has never met him before right. um anthony ainley also is visibly older mm-hmm. in this um he's his hair hasn't changed color but his face shape is different and he and his skin looks different. He looks visibly older than he did in his last appearance. Yeah, and he, I gather from what I was reading, this is more the type of master that Anthony Inley wanted to play. A little, little more understated than they wrote mm-hmm. him on the Six Doctors time. Mm-hmm particularly, which is interesting. It would have been. It feels a lot more like the Roger Delgado master. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. le- less scene chewing, <laughs> shall yeah. we say? Not, not not so much of the mustached twirling type <laughs> master that he usually is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He he also. It's nice to see the master just trying to survive for once. Mm-hmm. He's not trying, and eventually trying to kill the doctor, but he's not trying to take over the world here. He's not like going to use. He's not allied himself with the cheetah people and is going to use them to take over the world or anything like that. Mm. He's just fallen in with them somehow, and he's currently trying to dominate the cheetah people and and use them, but he needs help to get back to mm-hmm. to Earth, presumably where his TARDIS is. And he he asks the doctor for help and is very frank about it. Just says, "I need your help." And the the cheetah people are interesting, by the way. That they're 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 not simply oh you know animalistic people. They've kind of developed a kind of uh, anthropology, I suppose. I don't know uh, of them where they're not just mindless hunters. They mm-hmm. they hunt for the the joy of it. They hunt. You know, when you run, that is it it kind of elicits the idea of cats who are all about Mm -hmm. uh, playing with their prey as opposed Mm -hmm. to just merely being, you know, um, hunt and tear apart and eat and then move on. And so you kind of get that from the cheetahs a little bit. You get the the pleasure of of hunting, the pleasure of of, you know, feeling the wind and smelling the prey and all this stuff, you know, the kind of like we would describe, you know, uh, someone who really loves to cook, like the, the act of cooking isn't just to produce nourishment. It's the joy of the ingredients and combining everything and, and just that, that whole experience of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, it's because the cheetah people play with their food that the doctor is able to save Patterson because mm-hmm. they don't immediately kill him. They're playing with him first, and that gives the doctor time. He tries to distract them. He gets some objects and tries to juggle them, uh, you know, like you could with mm-hmm. a cat, and he tries throwing them, and the cat and the master says, sorry, they're, they're, <laughs> they're not that easily distracted once, once they're yeah. on the hunt. <laughs> um, right. But the master characterizes them as they're playing with their food as a fundamentally fun-loving race. they also are talking a bunch and there's one of them whose name we eventually learn is kara 
mm-hmm. um, who she and Ace kind of become friends, and and and, and during this phase. Ace has been infected and is going back and forth between being cheetah-like and being human, and she's she moves back and forth between the two. And Kara and Ace are talking about – Kara especially is talking to Ace about feeling like you could run forever on the hunt and stuff like that mm-hmm. and feel the grass beneath your feet and how great all that is. And then why are you riding horses while you're hunting? <laughs> yes well it's like planet of the apes the the gorillas riding the horses in the apes. yeah well yeah. that's fine it's a nice image but it's like then yeah. why are you going on about running forever if you're just <laughs> you should be going on about riding forever <laughs> by the way uh kara is played by bernice summerfield who shows up uh in other roles in lisa oh, bowerman who plays bowerman, bowerman. Yeah, in uh, in Big Finish and yep. uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think just big, just uh, audio, right? Big Finish. Yes. Um, well, there I think there have been like Bernie Summerfield comics and stuff, but but yeah, okay. She, yeah, she voices actually quite a few characters in mm-hmm. Big Finish. Right, right. The characters Bernie Summerfield, but the you're right. You got the actress's name. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, apparently, when they were when this was being written, the writer did not envision the cheetah people to have quite so much makeup and Mm -hmm. thought that they should have much more expressiveness in their faces the actors should be able to express them and so a lot of the nuance that she was hoping for got lost in the in the filming and and i think uh, in fact i think at one point she thought that there should be more relationship between kara and ace than than there was she she initially wanted them to have like yellow colored eyes and fangs and a little bit of like grease paint face makeup with Mm -hmm. cheetah spots but instead they gave them full face you know layers of stuff with fur on top of it and so they you you, their facial expressions get lost Mm. Uh, apparently it was so hot at times when the, in the filming that one of the extras stripped off the costume and walked off the set. <laughs> she was oh, just done, <laughs> which is kind of kind of amusing to, to think when, about. When doubt that 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 looked uncomfortable because I mean oh, they're yeah. basically wearing a, a mascot layers of clothing and <laughs> fur, fake fur. Yeah, full body fur coat in a summer day. Um, so you know one of the things that's interesting is is the doctor like when they first show up in Paravale. He does seem bored, as we mentioned, but pretty quickly he seems to figure out what's going on. He, in, in the, we're not explained to why or how he knows, but he seems to quickly figure out the kitlings mm-hmm. and the cheetah people and why people are going missing. Doesn't, of course, because the doctor doesn't say anything to anyone uh, exactly what's going on. But he's he starts kind of hunting the the kitlings, mm-hmm. uh, and I thought I thought that was an interesting subtlety that they. That they just have them mm-hmm. kind of start doing this thing because the doctor's always sort of looking for what's below the surface of things, I guess. It's nice. It's kind of like when you watch Mission Impossible, the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, there are long stretches of that where mm-hmm. you don't have dialogue explaining what's happening. You're just watching the Mission Impossible team putting a plan into action, and you got to figure out what they're doing as you see them do it. And, and it's not overly explained to you mm-hmm. and that's like what the doctor's doing in the first episode of this he he wants to he he realizes what the kitlings are somehow they look like black cats mm. in fact they look like 
creepy hissing black cat black cat dolls um, because it is an animatronic uh, they do use an actual live black cat for a handful of shots but mostly it's animatronic and like when they need the kitling to walk they use a real cat right but um but whenever we have close-ups, you know, of it looking around with sinister eyes and hissing at people and stuff like that, or just hissing at the air for the fun of it, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the it's clear that it's a doll, and they had apparently hired um, a guy to do the animatronics who had previously done what was regarded as a very successful um, animatronic dog. On another show, it was called I something or other, mm-hmm. um, and and I and 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 they said that this was not as well realized because cats are smaller, and mm-hmm. that means you couldn't the animatronics couldn't work the same way, right? Um, and maybe that's true, but I went and looked up an episode of this other TV show on YouTube and watched it, and I saw the animatronic dog, and it's like, yeah, it's not that great. The cat was just as good as this. Yeah. <laughs> um, partly the fact that the cats are jet black helps uh, because any it, that field of blackness, all you really see is the is the silhouette of it and its eyes and and teeth and the interior of its mouth. You don't uh, have to worry too much about like if this were. If this were a light-colored cat, you could see all the folds of its skin and think about, are those folds realistic or not? Mm. But here you just see it's it's a jet-black silhouette with eyes and a mouth. Yep. Um, the One of the places, though, that I think it doesn't work completely well is they have it lift its upper lip sometimes, mm-hmm. and it's clear that they've just like got a, a, a cord that pulls yep. up the center of its lip and and that's not that doesn't look well, realistic but overall it was very impressive well there's there's one scene where you can definitely tell the difference where ace picks up the cat and of course she's picking up an actual cat and then the next scene you see her petting the animatronic cat and it's <laughs> yeah. very clearly a difference you know i mean that, that yeah that that definitely was kind of a failed scene there for that it looks no better than the black cat that they had on Bewitched back in the late sixties, early seventies. Mm. That time period, um, it doesn't seem any better than the cat That's from that. Twenty yeah. years difference, and it really didn't yeah. make that. It really didn't change anything. Well, and then you yeah. look at what they've done in the nearly forty years since the thirty something years since yeah. uh, with Grogu on you know the Mandalorian, mm-hmm. which is a puppet you know mm-hmm. and similarly it's a, it's amazing to see where we've come with, with that stuff I, I wonder if they would have been better off with doing a puppet versus the animatronic you know if <laughs> yeah, it would have looked better it. yeah because i mean by by the late 80s you know puppet technology had gotten so much better i mean thanks to jim henson largely yep. but yeah 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 i mean it's nowhere near as bad as chameleon was but <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Um, by the way, we should also mention just to explain uh, what kitlings are. They the doctor describes them as the feline equivalent of vultures, and so you know how vultures circle meat, and then people can or other creatures can see the vultures and move to where they are and eat the meat. Um, the kitlings do something similar. They they transport between our world and and the cheetah planet, and they find victims for the cheetah people to eat and 
teleport them back to the cheetah planet. And then the kitling, the cheetah people kill them and the kitlings get to eat the meat. Right. They have a sort of symbiotic relationship. And, yeah. and we're told that because they have this link to the planet, they can always go back to it. They can always transport back to it. Um, and this is what the master wants to use in order to get off the cheetah planet by having a human brought there and turn, which eventually mm-hmm. happens to uh, to Ace's friend Midge. And he Midge kind of, is such a strange name for a guy. <laughs> I'm used to that being a female name. Yeah, yeah. I have a feeling that's a nickname or something, but yeah. it doesn't yeah. say. Maybe he was small as a kid. And they called him Midge for midget or something. But in any case, uh, he kind of rides him back through the uh, mm-hmm. through the por- portal, uh, where he where he becomes suave, cool dude with the glasses and the long coat, you know, the the, the well, leather coat or something like that. Yep. As they go, neo neo, <laughs> yes, right. And recruit the other young men at the uh, at the youth center to to join the cat gang or something. I don't know. It, it, it was kind of a weird. <laughs> The plan falls apart before it really comes together. Yeah. 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 One thing that's interesting about this is, so, you know, if you watch a lot of on-screen... Now, one of the things I liked about this is there's a good bit of conflict. Uh, There is running and hand-to-hand fighting and stuff, but there's no blasters in this. There's there's no guns. People, this is is unarmed physical combat. Uh, for the most part, I mean, occasionally someone picks up a tooth and stabs somebody with it, but this and is the occasional exploding motorcycles. Uh, but yeah. yeah, well, we can get to the motorcycle chicken gang, yeah. <laughs> but um, but it this is overwhelmingly unarmed combat, and one of the things you sometimes see in unarmed combat on television is ridiculous moves that nobody would ever make in real life. You know, you mm. see Jim Kirk doing weird flips and the double chops and yeah the, the, yeah the, the, two, the two-headed chop is that's really a thing you know the smashing the fist down that's really a thing yeah, <laughs> yeah. and on next gen you know you see Riker or LaForge ro- doing a roll out of nowhere and it's like how is that going to help you and um and Ace gets to do something similarly stupid in this uh when it she's in a park on earth and uh, Kara appears on a horse and is chasing her. And this is the first time that, that Ace has encountered mm-hmm. Kara. She doesn't know what she is. She, they're not friends. She's running away from this cheetah person on horseback that's chasing her. And, um, and since they're in a park, they have all this playground equipment, like little bitty slides. And not big mm-hmm. ones, but little bitty slides. Mm. And they have multiple ones and ace will like run to a slide climb up the slide (laughs) slide down the slide run to the next slide climb up it slide (laughs) down it and and meanwhile kara is following her on the horse and it's like ace what do you think you're doing this is not this is not taking shelter why are you why are you suddenly sliding down all these slides? If you, uh, the, the most, I mean, you could either get under one of the slides if you wanted to try to take shelter, or you could climb up it and stay there. Yeah. But just running to a slide, climbing up, sliding down, and going to the next one is just wasting your time. It's not, you're not getting any shelter. You could better spend that time running away. <laughs> yeah. She she did she was better at running away than pretty much everyone else. I, I have to give her that. Yeah. She lasted longer, although everyone 
that's this is the other thing. Everyone falls. Like, why does everyone like everyone that gets chased always by got a trip. Kara? What's that? The other guy got always got a trip. You always yeah, got a yep. trip. I mean, that's you just, always that's get a trip over your own feet. <laughs> it's, it is the being chased rule of of movies I mean, and TV. At least Ace figures out. Hey, I can go into that. You know, the climbing dome. The, yeah, climbing jungle gym mm-hmm. dome, and at least I can have a little bit of shelter there. Stay um, there till the doctor comes. But yeah, <laughs> one, one, one thing though, tying to I think you mentioned Dom earlier about how Ace is kind of coming into her own, becoming more mature. Is she has to resist her temptation to fight. Mm-hmm. And they're actually that scene mm-hmm. is I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to do this. I'm, you know, she wants to, she wants to attack. She wants to fight back, yeah. but she's having to resist that. Cause she knows as the doctor told her, if she fights, she will become more and more <laughs> like the cheetah people. Right. And there's, a, there's another scene similar to that earlier on the cheetah planet where the doctor has knows that the cheetah cause he knows about the cheetah people. He knows if you run, they will attack you but they will largely otherwise leave you alone unless they're hungry. Mm-hmm. And he's with this group of earthlings and he keeps yelling for everybody stand still, <laughs> do not run, do not fight. And nobody listens to him <laughs> yes. or very few people listen to him. And it brings about exactly the battle they could have avoided. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's it's, kind it's of a funny. comical scene. Cause he's standing there and you see people crossing over back and forth and back and forth. Eventually he takes his umbrella, trips one of the, Cheetah people and kind of tips his hat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was funny. The the humans' in- inability to control their fight or flight uh, instinct, <laughs> they just yeah. they just cannot stop themselves. Oh, man. So. Um, I yeah, want to so- know what's up with the wolf howl sound effect, because that's a wolf howl sound <laughs> effect that, that the it, cheetah people are using. Yeah. Roar like a lion or something. Or do a cheetah scream. But yeah. The, yeah. The, they, the wolf they, howl. they robbed. They raided the uh, BBC sound archive, and that's the one they picked, apparently. <laughs> yeah. The sound editor was like, whatever, just pick one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're done after this. I'm, we're we're, we're going to have to get new jobs after this, so just pick one. So let's talk about the uh, the jousting on the motorcycle back. The the doctor mm-hmm. has to uh, he 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 faces down with Midge for they some have reason. A game of chicken on motorcycles, yeah. which make a remarkably large explosion that no Act Two motorcycles would actually do. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I mean, maybe they were packed with TNT. I don't know. Yeah. The doctor survives it quite handily. Actually, he's just kind of thrown quite far. Mm-hmm. Uh, from yeah. it in, in lands in a rubbish tip and uh actually injured. yeah actually there was this was originally going to be in a warehouse and that would mm. explain the couch that he yep. lands on but <laughs> now it's just a rubbish couch that someone is dumped <laughs> dumped he, at the yeah, park <laughs> yeah and he ends up fe- face in the the bags and all you see is his backside and his legs <laughs> yeah, right right the uh, undignified it does kill midge uh which the uh or mostly, actually, he like, survives briefly. He survives, yep. but the master kind of like, oh, you've you know, you're you failed, so therefore, um, and sort of disposes of, of him yep. uh, there, and then, um, and that's where, and then that's when the um, the doctor has to go, you know, confront the master in Cheetah World and resist the temptation to to kill him. Like he mm-hmm. also has to fight off the mm-hmm. f- the kill instinct because he's also turning. To cheetah um and then they end up back um and actually um is it kara that kara that dies yes. in the yeah. end there too the, yeah. the master kills kara with a he kind of he kind of 
goads her a little bit. He he. So Kara shows up on Earth again, and Ace is there to witness all this. And the master is like, "You can't hurt me. I I'm in. I, you know, I'm invincible. You're not going to hurt me. I can control you. Blah blah blah." And she says, "Do you bleed?" And mm. <laughs> and he says. And he doesn't really say anything, but she says, as long as you bleed, I can hurt you. And yeah. she she attacks him, and he stabs her with a, with a giant tooth. And she then dies in front of Ace, and Ace is all broken up because at this point they're friends. And and all of a sudden, Kara is human again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it's clearly the cheetah, she was one of the cheetah people who had gone full cheetah but was originally from Earth. Okay. Okay. That so that's what that was because I was like, are all the cheetah people originally human or they don't say kind of they don't say, yeah. but it sounds like you know there this. I mean, it could. Well, okay. The master originally refers to some people on the cheetah planet who built ruins or right. built buildings that are now ruins, and I mm-hmm. think he says they designed the kitlings. Um, and, but this planet has this influence on whoever goes there. So I think the, and they, the implication from the master is those people are extinct. Mm -hmm. So I think the implication is that all of the cheetah people now are imports from elsewhere. Okay. And if you, imports by the kitlings. Yeah. If you don't get eaten, you end up becoming a cheetah person. Okay. Okay. And then uh, I do like the fact that the doctor catches the master trying to pick the lock of the TARDIS Mm -hmm. and (laughs) very casually, uh, uh, you know, they they end up and that's when they end up going back to the cheetah planet. Um, And he leaves the the master there and the master, of course, always finds a way Mm -hmm. off the planet. And so that's that's presumed by the 1996 TV movie, because that movie begins with him being executed by the Daleks. Right. And uh, has already in a new rege- regeneration of the master, by the way, right? Arguably, they hired someone who looks to they they hired someone who looks very much like Anthony Ainley in in the makeup they put him in. Yeah. Uh, you could, so you could argue whether at the, you and you only really get a good look at him in publicity stills. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you go on mm-hmm. TARDIS Wiki, it'll have you can look at pictures of him, and then he becomes the Eric Roberts master. Yes. Yeah, because in right. the movie itself, you only see him like the slits of the, you know, light on the eyes, and the eyes are kind of the, the cat type eyes. And sure. Right. That's very true. Brief, so maybe it's the same. For yeah. about like 10 yeah. seconds. He was going to do more. He It was originally the master who did the opening monologue in the 1996 TV movie, but they switched it to uh, the Doctor or mm-hmm. the Daleks or something. Just yeah. The, uh and then so the uh, as we end it's the the doctor and ace kind of walking off from the the park mm-hmm. going walking to the tardis and once the um john nathan turner i think it was mm-hmm. right who's yeah. still running mm-hmm. things at this time once he knew that the show had been canceled he had sylvester mccoy come back in and record a record a voiceover yep. to sort of Give, to give a little a little sense of closure yeah. for the show, and it's it's effective. Uh, it's a short voiceover, but it it um, the doctor is walking with his arm around Ace, and in voiceover we hear him say, "There are worlds out there where the sky is burning, where the seas asleep and the rivers dream. People made of smoke and cities made of song. Somewhere there's danger. Somewhere there's injustice. And somewhere else the tea's getting cold. Come on, Ace, we've got work to do." And mm-hmm. I think that's fitting. That's nice. 
Yeah, it kind of shows I mean, that even though the series is canceled, it's continuing. They're still yeah, the, over continuing, which of course we do see. We see Big Finish, we see the TV movie, we see, you know, eventually, of course, uh, the 2005 revival. Yeah. Yep, yeah. books and comics the, and stuff. The, yeah. uh, the I was going to say, the series is continuing. In the Virgin New Adventures Doctor Who novels, available near at your nearest <laughs> n- news uh, newsstand reseller. Yep. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is sad that something that had gone on for so long kind of just got a send, you know, a, a very little send off, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of canceled. And I know, you know, we've talked before about how often the show came so close to not coming back after the end of one series after another. So even in, even in the new who era, it almost ended after David Tennant. It almost sort of, I believe almost ended after Peter, after Stephen Moffat. And it almost ended again after Chris Chibnall. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. It's just something that keeps it going. And for that, I'm grateful. (laughs) And there were, there were revival movements, between even after this was you know right after this i mean there were people that were pushing for it there were groups that were trying to get it going the 96 movie wasn't the only attempt to get things going uh that's the only thing that actually got filmed but but and then all the way up to 2005 so i mean it it's not like it was forgotten the bbc probably wanted it to be forgotten for a while but (laughs) um it never did really get forgotten it's just it went on a very long hiatus very long. I mean, that's eighty nine to ninety to two thousand five is, mm-hmm. you know, sixteen years. That's that's quite a long time to, for something to come back after all that time, even with a TV movie in the middle and and the other materials. It's kind of uh, fascinating to see. Um, I mean, the only thing that's somewhat similar is Star Trek from yep. mm-hmm. the original series to TNG, but even then, it was a different series. It was a different crew, right. a different ship. Uh, you know, this is sort of well. It was true of Doctor uniquely- Who as well. It's a new crew. Yeah. It's you know, not not the same actors. That's true. That's true. Different different uh, guy in the role. Different even the in the TARDIS itself was very different and different companions and yeah yeah yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, anything other else to say about this story, Father Corey? Nothing else here, Jimmy. So I think it would have benefited if they had explored why the planet is being destroyed more. They say it's because when the cheetah people fight each other, it harms the planet. But why? You know, this is just (laughs) kind of magical. Um, Also, one thing I really liked is as, you know, part of this is is a seduction thing where Ace is being, as she's making the transition to becoming a cheetah person, She's being seduced by the idea of being a cheetah person. You know, she's experiencing what it would be in her mind, what it would be like to have the thrill of the hunt and stuff like that. And she and she's going off with Kara on a hunt, it would seem. And they run across some some meat and they've made it you can see a rib cage. Um mm-hmm. and it's clear this ain't a human rib cage. This is something else. Yeah. But um which is good because I it, it otherwise it would be even ickier than it is. Mm-hmm. Um but they have this moment where Ace is conflicted um about what she's becoming and she says to Kara as they're looking at this, I mean, you kill people. You eat people. And which is a horrifying realization 
And then she says, would you eat me? And Kara does not say no. Instead, she mm-hmm. starts, I mean, she's like, well, there's meat here. I don't need to. But but um, but she doesn't say, no, I would never eat you. She she instead starts talking about how much fun you'd be to hunt because you'd be a worthy adversary. And yeah, uh, not reassuring. Yeah, it's, it's like, how fast can you run? And Ace says, fast enough. And it's like, oh, wow, what a great hunt that would be. <laughs> and, right. And I like that they have that moment of horrification in the middle of the seduction of becoming a cheetah person. It's like, wait, whoa, wait. This isn't all running forever and 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 hunting and how fun that is. It's like, what are you hunting? You kill and eat people. People. Um so I thought that was well done. And I like how Ace how the the doctor then shows up and he's calling for Ace. He doesn't run to her and shake her shoulders or anything like that. He just says, you know, Ace, you can come back and come with me. And she's looking back and forth between Kara and the doctor. And as she does that, she starts to look less like a cheetah and suddenly her eyes are back to being human eyes. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was nicely done. Very good. All right. So, and that does it for the Seventh Doctor. We will, of course, talk more about the Seventh Doctor in Big Finish yeah, and other things like that. He's got but, great uh, Big Finish adventures. Yeah. But for the for televised Seventh Doctor, that is the end. So, I promised some feedback, and uh, we've got some listener feedback from way back, episode 300, when we did our Ranking the Companions. And Rope Drink wrote on our YouTube channel. Nice to see some love for Dorothy Ace McShane. It was great to see her once more in Power of the Doctor, along with the Seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy. I've always regarded them as the best overall TARDIS team, mostly thanks to their contrasting dynamic and great chemistry. They're a barrel of fun and play off, play off each other so well. The anti-violence manipulator with his explosive teenage rebel student who care for each other, but are total opposites and no stranger to clashing with one another. I I think that the Ace is one of the best companions. I I like Ace a lot. I like her partnership mm-hmm. with the Seventh Doctor. I also like the team of the Second Doctor and Jamie, and mm-hmm. I like the Fourth Doctor and Leela. Mm-hmm. My I I tend to there are other companions that are fine and some of them even good, but I think the best companions, the ones that I most enjoy watching, are Jamie, Leela, and Ace. And I think it's partly because all three of them are not pacifists um, and are willing to do things the doctor wouldn't, and they are able to have some some interesting relationships. Jamie's is more comedic. Mm -hmm. Um, Leela's is more protective. And she's more of a student. She's an Eliza Doolittle character, but she's more protective. It's like, if the doctor's not going to defend him, I will. And Ace is 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 um, also has a bit of a student relationship, not as much as Leela, but um, but is quite willing, like Leela and Jamie, to use violence. And mm-hmm. the doctor mm-hmm. can use that, but also restrain it. And I, I, I find each of those pairings has an interesting dynamic. Great, greatest line from the doc, seventh doctor and ace. Give me so that nitro nine you're not carrying. Yeah. <laughs> Remembrance of the Dalek. I, was, I, I felt like ace and the seventh doctor were more father daughter mm-hmm. even, you know, yeah. in, in some ways. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm kind of biased. Cause this is 
when these episodes were being aired uh, was when I was first watching Classic Who, you know, and I was, you know, young, much younger. I was, you know, I was, I was teenager, a little bit younger than that. And um, I mean, I remember when they announced on our, our PBS station that Doctor Who had been canceled. Because, you know, we were, we would get the episodes, I think, like a year behind. Mm -hmm. So, like, when Mm -hmm. this aired, when Survival aired in Great Britain, we were, you know, the season before is what we were watching. You know, so it was, so they, but they had, you know, they announced it that had been canceled, but that we would get the new episodes and all that. But, um, so I'm kind of a little biased there that this was, Ace was kind of the first companion I really kind of grew up with, if you will. Mm -hmm. You know, because we would watch it more or less concurrent or fairly close to when it showed in, in Great Britain versus like Leela or Jamie or somebody like that. Right. And being a teenager and, and Ace being a teenager, I'm sure that made that connection as well. Yep. So, yeah, me, me or me not had a crush on her at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get to see these episodes when I was uh, younger. I, I saw the fourth doctor through the fifth doctor uh, on my local PBS which was like phase shifted by a year or something, just like mm-hmm. you, Father. And then something happened. I don't know if it's just my life got busy um, or because I was heading into college or if the I think the local PBS wasn't getting it anymore right. after a certain time. <clears throat> and I don't really remember the... I didn't see the sixth and the seventh doctor. I, I read comic books, and so I'd be in comic book shops, and I would see photographs Mm-hmm. of the sixth and seventh doctor and think, oh, that looks interesting. And I was not horrified by the sixth doctor's costume. I thought it's <laughs> like, well, just another eccentric Doctor Who costume. And then I, I started seeing photographs of Sylvester McCoy as the doctor. And it's like, oh, well, that looks interesting. And I wanted to see their their stories, but they just weren't mm-hmm. available to me at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I've mentioned before that the only time I saw any Doctor Who is I saw part of a fourth doctor story once – and I was confused, mm-hmm. and I would love to know. Like, I have an image of it in my mm-hmm. mind of the scene. I have no idea which story it was. Like, well, I, I, I hope, I'd hope, be curious to see. I hope we find it. You'll be able to remember what it is. It's like, oh, that's yeah. the scene. And it's probably gonna be like one of the more bizarre Fourth Doctor episodes, anyways. You know, <laughs> probably, probably there was a robot in it of some sort. I think, uh, and it was an interior. Mm. Uh, that's but about it, nevertheless, half yeah. the Fourth Doctor episode. But <laughs> exactly. Um, Nevertheless, there there was always this uh, confusion in for me about how they kept changing the actor and that sort of stuff, and so I do kind of wish I had seen these back in the day when they were airing, as they came out more or less. Um, and it, it is to my regret that I only came to Doctor Who very late uh, in life. So, but I'm glad we're, we're we've made our way through many of them already. All right. So uh, thank you again, Rope Drink, for your feedback. We really appreciate it. And we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Michael F., Jonathan R., Father Andrew A., Raymond L., and Debbie A. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Zyman Yannick, who edited this episode for us. So that's it from us for this time. What did you think of this Seventh Doctor story, Survival? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com 
or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You can watch The Secrets of Doctor Who on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia. And we'll be back next time when we're discussing the Zygon Inversion, the 12th Doctor story. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, I don't have to outrun the lion. I just have to outrun you. <laughs> <laughs>